welcome to Hey Hey Agave. I am Sabrina, your host. Today on the show, Jose Maria Donde, or Chema as he is known, stopped by to share his particular perspective working within the mezcal and agave spirits industry. He, up until recently, had been behind the bar at Cosme, the Mexican fine dining restaurant created by chefs Enrique Overa and Daniela Soto Inez. I think this conversation will be of particular interest to those of you working behind the bar because Chema explains how he introduces mezcal to his guests, taking people who are brand new to mezcal from, say, a cocktail to understanding the flavor profiles of individual expressions based on region, process, and species. He stresses the responsibility of the bartender to help educate their guests and gives some great advice on how not to overwhelm them, but instead entice them to want to learn more. We discuss what it means to farm semi-cultivated agave and he stresses particularly the historical aspect of celebration and agave distillates in Mexican culture. I think this is really an important aspect of of the spirit and um, Chema discusses how it affected him growing up in Mexico and 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 why he he thinks that it's a really important topic to bring up when introducing somebody to to the distillate. Chema is also the force behind Panorama Mezcal, a project he created around five years ago to promote Mexican culture and spirits. Panorama produces um, events throughout the year. Some of them are parties like Bartender Legion. Um, there is one in particular I'd like to tell you about. It's called Mezcal Night, where 30 plus brands come together under one roof for an awesome tasting experience. Um, there's also lectures and presentations. So there will be a Mezcal Night in NYC coming up. It will be held at Empelon Al Pastor in the Pod 39 Hotel in Murray Hill on Sunday, April 21st from 5 to 8 p.m., you can find tickets on the Eventbrite website by just typing in Mezcal Night. Tuya will be there, so I hope you guys can make it. Uh, these events do sell out, so go get those tickets right away. Um, we would also really love to hear from, from you. If you would like to hear about a certain topic or if there is a particular person you think would be a good fit for the podcast, please email us at ola at tuyo.nyc and just put hey hey in the subject. And if you don't already, please subscribe to the podcast. And if you're feeling super kind, we would really appreciate it if you would rate and review us. Thanks so much, everyone. And here is our conversation with Chema. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Hey Hey Agave. I am Sabrina, and we are here with Gabrielle. Hi. Hi. And Jose Maria Donde Rangel. Or Chema. AKA Chema. Or Chema. Chema para los cuates. Yeah. <laughs> well, welcome. Thanks so much for coming. Thank you. Um, so before we get started talking about you and all that you are involved in, um, I see that you brought an expression from Marca Negra, yeah? Yeah, we got an ensamble, Marca Negra. It's from uh, Maestro Mezcalero Basilio Pacheco from La Noria Ejutla. And uh, it's uh, an ensemble of uh, upline of three different agaves. So there is a Mexicano, there is an Espadín, and there is also a San Martín, which is a Karwinski agave, mm -hmm. but they know it as a San Martín over there. Okay. It's endemic to the region, I would it say. It is. It is endemic to the region. And it's really tasty. I really like uh, uh, blends because it's pretty much like creating a new hybrid agave, something that it doesn't really exist until you make it happen. 
and it's more like a, this uh, fill blend where it's something that they're really used to it and it's like a creating new flavors and then you pretty much pick up the Mexicano flavors if you know Mexicanos you get the espadines and then you get also the Karwinski citrus dry situation and this is a distillation in a refrescadero style in a Filipino distill which is pretty much the style that they do over there which means that is, there is wood into the copper and there is a double distillation in one pass the refrescadero usually catches the alcohol a little bit faster on the distillation so for me it gets more floral, a little bit briny and really mineral so salud Saludita. Saludita. Okay. so it's only distilled one pass it's uh it has a column in the middle mm -hmm. on the distillation so that means that the condensation of the first distillation is uh getting in the in the plate in the middle and it's distilling one more time in the same oh. uh distillation so that's why it's called a double distillation in one pass uh -huh. and then they have the refrescadero which is going to be the serpentine uh, surrounded by uh, a lot of water mm -hmm. that uh, is going to trap the alcohol on the distillation faster and it usually comes a little bit lower on the alcohol and it gets a little bit, well, for me, it gets more floral. It gives, it's, it's not as probably high alcohol flavors. It gets more into the agave floral uh, body of the distillation. But even so. though this is a 49.3, like we still talk about something it's not a joke. It's still high up. No, yeah, it is. It's, it's, it's it a is. nice one. Yeah, it is a really good stuff from uh, from Basilio Pacheco. And you know what is funny? This is the third ensemble that we have. Mm -hmm. uh, we had a really nice uh, the staple from Bosal that they have an ensemble that is really really nice too. Oh, the actually the ensemble from Bosal is the same. Uh, Agave is from a different region. I'm not I'm not familiar with the region, but I know they also have a Mexicano, yes. Espadín, and Karwinski. Mm -hmm. But not San Martín. It's not San Martín, but this is actually really curious because there is a Espiritu Lauro, which they also make it from, a, I think it's also La Norejutla, and they also have a blend of Mexicano, Espadín, and Karwinski. Mm -hmm. Yes, sir. Mm -hmm. yeah. We might have that here, actually. We, we might have, yeah. yeah. And just to be clear for everybody, when you talk about blends, you're talking about the agaves being cooked together in the pit and then fermented together and then distilled together. Yes, everything is going to be, the process is going to be all together. And then uh, usually sometimes they do it just to save uh, time and space too. If there's a, you know, the oven is ready and then you have different agaves and then you have different batches. Let's just cook it all together and then we do the batch of... Uh, oh, and then they'll separate them? Yeah, well, oh. it depends pretty much of uh, what they're trying to do. Sometimes they save also a certain amount of, uh, let's say, like the Espadín, the Mexican, the Karwinski, and let's give it a try and create something new. Mm -hmm. So that's why like a blends were like, you know what, we have all this in our fields. Let's just cook them all. Let's just make something new. And it's pretty much like a, the, the land mezcal situation. No? You might think that is also the timing. Like... If, if a plant is ready, it doesn't wait for you. Like, it's ready and you have to use it. Even if you do, like, a capar and, and let it in the field for, what, one or two years. I think one of the visits that I did to Cosme, you gave me a, a, a barril, no, a capon. Oh, yeah. 
that it was like in the floor for another two years. Yeah, after it was harvested. And it was not harvested after it was actually just castrated. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, and it was a very interesting. So they cut the quiote and they left it the in the ground. The quiote starting, they cut it, mm-hmm. so they they stop the the growth, mm-hmm. but they leave it in the ground for two so years. So the sugars, so the sugars in the plants are insane. I had no idea that yeah, it would they, survive that long. Yeah, m- well, me neither. Usually, gets uh, the same as I like to describe it like a banana situation, like when you have those like bananas that after a while they get uh um, darker and then uh the sugar content is higher and those are really good to make uh uh desserts and stuff like that so it's kind of like the same situation where the starch is there it has to move around because that's the thing about agaves and then uh, there's a higher concentration of uh of the starch the starch because it's been like a sitting there but i don't think it lasts like longer uh than two years because then the agave also you know like it's gonna start Yeah. yeah yeah So, Gemma. Yes. You're a very busy person. A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I have to I have to get my notes so that I get everything uh, <laughs> in one shot. Okay. So, you are the person, the force behind Panorama Mezcal. What is Panorama Mezcal? Can you explain us a little bit? So, Panorama Mezcal is, uh, it came from a vision of uh, being part of uh, the Mexican culture and also promote, promote uh, you know, what Mexicans are capable of in New York because that's where I live. That's where this project is based. And then um, it just started for the need of uh, just sharing, you know, the culture and the Mexican spirits. And then I think it came along with, uh, with the whole movement of uh, craft cocktails and also the same as people going into farm to table organic and caring more about you know what's craft you know and actually having an appreciation about artisanal stuff and that's i think that's why mezcal had a really big uh, boom like a booming because he, 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 he actually fits into all these kind of like uh, categories no like uh, the crafted artisanal cultural aspect and they're really tasty notes as well no so yeah, Panorama Mezcal probably started like a five years ago in the summer of uh, 2014. And then, uh, but to be honest, uh, it, it, everything started as a, as a let's do a party. Let's do a party. Let's have a music, cumbia, merengue, reggaeton, and let's have some shots of, oh, what's, what's trendy today? Oh, Mezcal, no? <laughs> and then, uh, and then, well, one of those events uh somebody was gonna donate a product and it's that somebody is actually diego from espiritu lauro of course and then uh and diego is actually from colombia so having a meeting with diego and then having a talk and he was like you know what uh, i don't mind giving you product unless uh, you know but I'll, but you gotta explain to people what's happening here no like i want people to appreciate uh what's what's all this about no so then he started to talk what's all this about for him so kind of like having that uh conversation with him that he that he's actually from a different country having a lot of uh, appreciation into the mexican culture into the mezcal uh, culture as well and it was like an eye-opener situation seeing that he had a lot of uh 
a lot of love into the mezcal thing. So that yeah. kind of like a... Without being Mexican. Yeah, without being Mexican. Yeah. So that was a night opener. Was that like your first real in-depth introduction in, in to mezcal or like... Probably like a different uh, or more, more like a serious uh, conversation into mezcal because I had like a... Uh, that connection with mezcal back in the days uh, when I went to the first time. The first time that I went to Oaxaca, to Oaxaca de León, it was in Aguilaguetza, which was actually really cool. I was uh, 16 years old. And then obviously in Aguilaguetza, everybody has their food, there's dancing, and there is also a lot of mezcal straight from the gasoline gallon. So I get to try mezcal for the first time when I was like 16. Obviously, it was like a campfire. Who knows, you know, what kind of agave, I don't know. It was the right agave. It was the right agave to start, I guess, yeah. Especially if it comes from a gasoline uh, <laughs> a container. container. Number two. <laughs> Number, yeah. two. Oh, Number you, two. The blue one or the white one? Because it's the red one. Uh, oh, the, yeah. that's a good one, too. So after the conversation with Diego, did you start to do more research of your own or start to talk to other people? Well, I kept doing parties, but uh, I started to do uh, other events. Uh, and try to cur curate those events and also try to explain more about what what was happening with the with the brand what was be you know behind the label so then uh, it was all about like you know what let me promote your your brand without actually working with the brand it was just like a the started of a panorama mezcal uh, curating events and then also trying to promote the Mexican spirits even though it was really really green really new and then that's how everything started and then little by little more brands started to come along together too they started to support and there were more brands coming every month so more mezcal that means that you know we can do more stuff so there is always spaces uh, open to appreciation so usually i used to do it more in open galleries or places where people will go there and probably have that kind of eye or like a at least the time to get into until what was happening there because it's people that they knew how to appreciate this stuff. So, and then after that, I ended up doing my own events and uh, now it's five years and uh, yeah, still going. It's amazing. And, and we've been to a couple of them. I know that, um, the way that I think about the events that you do, it's it's like, you know, you have a couple of big events a year that are mezcal specific, um, like your mezcal nights. I think that's what you call them. Yeah. Yeah. Mezcal night. And that is a really amazing experience because you do exactly what you just said. You bring together all of these brands um, and also educators. So I know the last event that you threw that was mezcal night, you had um, some lectures going on and people talking about different aspects, either about production or culture. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about that? So I think now, uh, now that I really understand what's happening here, uh, I think it's all about education and then also information and then the way that, you know, you get people involved into this uh, cultural aspect of Mexico, which is also really popular nowadays. But, uh, but yeah, it's all about education because that's the way that you get to appreciate what you're getting. And it's, I think it's like... There is no wrong mezcal, like we were talking before, you know, probably that was the right mezcal that I got when I was 16. And then uh, you start to drink more, you start to sip more, and then you know uh, what you like, no? And then your palate starts to get picky, and then you, you start to recognize, because there is always like a mezcal for everybody, no? Like obviously, 
there is a lot of like, oh, I don't like mezcal that is too smoky. No, like the smokiness is gonna be part of the mezcal process, no? But the under layers, that's what we're talking about, no? Like, all right, you don't like probably too too much hints of a uh, you know smokiness. Let's try something that is probably a little bit more funky, more floral, probably something more mineral, no? Let's try to see, you know, what's the right agave uh, for you, no? So the last events that I've been having, I've been trying to push that situation where, you know, let's let's talk more about what's behind the label and let's try to give a little bit more information to the people so they can actually take that home. And then probably next time they go buy a bottle of uh, mezcal, they're going to be like, oh, you know what? I, I was listening to this guy about this Tobal Agave, blah, blah, blah. Probably it's not the same brand, but, you know, it's the same Agave. No, let's give it a try. And then that's how you actually... Uh, start getting that connection with uh with the customers and with the people and and then i think that also brings back to the community and also to the brands as well no absolutely we and go ahead we have been having these conversations with a few different people now and education has been the number one topic that sips into the conversation it's not even a question it's like oh are you an educator of a guy? No, it's like the conversation like weave into it. But the most amazing part of all this is like in order for people to understand the value and the richness that agave and, and agave procedures and agave cooking and agave harvesting and agave uh, making before mezcal, like it's everything that is before they go into the distillation. It is so amazing that it's basically all the, the terroir driven, the altitude, the areas that they are. If it is a very porous sand or if it is a very rich soil or if it is the mountain, like all these things that unless somebody that is knowledgeable and it can be just knowledgeable in that specific area tells you it's almost impossible to know about it. Like it's. Is, is there's so much information out there that it, it requires event over event over an event to get tiny little pieces every time you yeah. go there and 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 enrich yourself like it's, it's so funny like the first the first time that we met and it was through Carlos at uh, the 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 bar the bartender something that it was in the expo center in Brooklyn yeah remember? the Brooklyn Expo Center yeah yeah there's this giant thing that is just for bartenders to go and learn what they're drinking, what they're serving, what they're selling. But there's a lot of education going on that is even just on the level of being a bartender. That, that was Bar Convent. Yes, Bar, Con bar Convent. Uh, that was the, the first time that I met Gemma. So it's, it's fairly fresh. Uh, but it's, it's interesting because you do that in New York over and over. Even if it is on a more educated way with the Mezcal Nights, or a, a little more crazy and more socially uh, party-wise with the bartender legion, but even with that, there's 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 some you're 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 using the what it will be like the the social aspect of party and music and and getting everybody there together. But there's a lot of conversations still happening. It's pretty cool. Well, I think it is. Uh, well, mezcal is a reason to celebrate. So that's why it's actually drink, and then that's why people, you know, keep uh, making it, and that's why we have it too. So that's why I wanted to do parties since the beginning because, like, you drink this because you're actually, 
you know, doing parties and celebrating. The same as uh, tequila, that is something that people relate into, you know, going party, going crazy and celebrating because that's the thing about uh, agave distills. They actually, you know, make you feel uh, happy and they make you feel, they give you a really nice boost. No, so I feel like that goes really uh, along, uh, you know, together with the with the whole uh, uh, cultural aspect too. Because it's, uh, if you go down to Oaxaca and then there is a wedding, there is a special mezcal that is made for that wedding because it's a reason of celebration. No, or like a, if there is a, a New Year's Eve to celebrate, if there is a Christmas situation, if there is a uh, uh, some something else happening that is is like let's make more mezcal and let's drink it all together because it has a lot of effort and it's actually you put a lot of effort because you wanna in the end drink it together with the people that you like. It that was you also want. made for the people. It, it was, was it was yeah, one yeah. of those things like I've been reading a little bit about it of like the pechugas and how you know until recently there were more and more pechugas out in the market, but at the beginning. A pechuga was pretty much done for a specific event, either a wedding or a bautizo or something that it would like require to be family. And typically, just to review, a pechuga is an espadine distillate that they infuse it. They pass the the vapors through a chicken breast or a piece of meat. But and, now, and fruits. but right, it's yeah. changing, and so there's all kinds of exotic things that. But also, each, each pechuga had their own recipe. They were like they were like the family recipe of the pechuga of mm-hmm. X town. It's like I'm making the mole of the family, yes. pretty much. Mm-hmm. You know, probably somebody else. A little bit more spices into it, but that's pretty much the style. So that's why, and I think that's the beauty about mezcal because in the end, even though if you drinking, let's say we were talking about the blend that we're drinking right now that we're sipping, uh, that the also Bosal has a similar kind of blend or Espiritu Lauro has a similar kind of blend, but then in the end, it's not the same. Uh, it's not the same thing, even though it's the same agaves because the process, the hand of the maker. And those kind of like a specific things are actually going to make something different. And that's why uh, mezcal is so abroad. And then there's so many. And then even though you try an espadín from a brand and then you try an espadín from a different brand, uh, you're actually going to taste a lot of different things that is, besides the agave, it's going to be the, the land, the terroir, the type of wood, the fermentation, and all these micro details are actually going to make something, a different product, no? And you see a lot of uh, brands that they have this uh, this line that is like, a, let's say, I, I like to mention uh, Nuestra Soledad, that they have uh, six different uh, six different expedines from different regions in Oaxaca, and all of them are different. And this is kind of like a, the easiest way to actually recognize how the land, the microclimate, you know, or what you were mentioning, you know, like a, the water from the river, the water from a different source, or probably the type of uh, the hills, you know, how it's built. You know, probably if you get more uh, sunrise, you know, probably if you get more sunset, or probably you get less wind or more wind. Those Even different aspects. The, you know? the east one is like fermenting, that they're natural. Yeah. Like it depends on the area that the fermentation is having happening yeah and what time of year they're cooking it and and all of that what i think is really interesting is also um your connection because you you work um at cosme as a bartender your your experience with the public is pretty in-depth right so you throw these events you work behind the bar you're constantly talking to people 
Um, I have a little bit of a controversial question, and it's only really controversial between me and Gabrielle. <laughs> <laughs> Super controversial. And we haven't really had a chance to talk to somebody with your knowledge yet about your opinion and the like, your perspective, basically, your philosophy around this. So, you know, agave distillates brings us here together to talk about everything about them. And when you're behind the bar and you are charged with preparing a cocktail, like what's your philosophy around mixing cocktails with mezcal versus just drinking it neat, you know, and and tasting it as is? Uh, well, I think there is mezcal for all like sort of levels. Like you have your introduction mezcal that uh, is probably not going to be like a, a puntas, you know, in a 67 or something like a really, really powerful. And obviously for someone that is a beginner into the mezcal world, you're not going to give them that. And probably you start with something like a 40, 42. And obviously the easiest way to get used to uh, the palate, to get used to the flavors is probably going to be in a cocktail. So I, I really I encourage people that they are not really familiar with mezcal, to, and they're probably not down to have a shot of mezcal and probably to have a cocktail. No, then you get that kind of like a smokiness. And the next time you already know the profile and then your palate is used to the, the flavors. No, and then, okay, no, let's go to the next step. No, and to becoming a, or turning into the mezcal religion pretty much. No, which is like a less sip uh, what you were actually drinking in your cocktail. No, let's give it a try. And then we go for the serious guy, you know, and then we we keep following, and then we probably go for the domestic agaves, and we ended up into the wild agaves, and then you ended up in a tepestate situation, you know. So I don't, I don't obviously like there is different, uh, you know, there is different circumstances with with cocktails too, you know, wherever you are looking for, and I don't really, I'm not like a a supporter of uh, let's make cocktails with wild agaves because wild agaves obviously takes uh, a lot of time and then it gets really difficult to work with them. But also, uh, I don't mind unless you don't know what it tastes like. It so I like to tell people, you know what, it's nice to know wh what it is, you know, by itself, you know, how it is. And then, all right, no, it probably now that you know how it tastes like by itself. You can allow yourself and probably let's have a cocktail or something like that. No, like a, a let's say a, a Negroni with a Tepestate. Obviously, it's not going to be bad. No, it's going to be really nice. <laughs> but obviously, you know, like a Tepestate, like a, you you wouldn't actually just put it into a margarita or something like that. And it's like a, talking about a uh, scotch that has been aged 30 years. No, like a, like that's meant to be more like a for appreciation, for sipping. A nice cube. Uh, Probably not, you know, probably just a nice glass, you know, let's just move it around and let's get all those 30 years, you know, like a sip by sip. Yep. So that's how I like to drink uh, my mezcales. But uh, but usually like behind the bar is, uh, I guess you have the opportunity to actually uh, take people to, to Oaxaca in a different way or to all these different places. Because these are all history tellers, no? Like uh, talking about mezcal and selling mezcal and pouring mezcal, you gotta say something about it because there is all, always something behind, no? Well, the every every expression has a story. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not like, oh yeah, this is actually better than the other one that you were having. No, no, no. It's like, a, all right, let me tell you why, no? Like a, this is actually a different agave. This is a different producer and the type of a uh, 
Destillation is on a Filipino still, and you know why? Because actually there's a lot of Filipino roots and situations that nobody knows too much, but it's still like a really cool stuff that it co it goes back to it goes back to pre-Hispanic times, no? And that's what it makes it actually really cool. And then I think uh I'm teaching something new and obviously people that usually go to the bar asking for mezcales, they are willing to learn because they know that they're spending and they know that they're paying that money because it's worth it, no? It's worth it because the small batch, the process, and that, uh, let's say, a brand no? like a, that has a 200 liters in a batch and probably they sell on the States, but they probably sell in, uh, I don't know, let's say like 10 different countries. You ended up having uh, something that is actually really, uh, really small and it's more like a collection situation where you ended up with a ball, like one out of uh, 200, it's like a, something really special, no? Like a driving probably a Porsche when they only made like a, right. you know, 200 out of them, no? Right. Probably it doesn't, yeah. probably mezcal, you know, it, it doesn't give you that drive, but uh, but it's still kind of like at the same situation where there's a lot of appreciation and this is it. This is what it was done and it took so long and then it's a five-generation process situation and then that's what it takes... Uh, you know, to make it. And then I think that, I think you take that with you uh, by the end of the day. And uh, I usually don't like to get people confused into mezcales because sometimes, in my experience as a bartender, uh, sometimes people are like, oh, I want to try this, I want to try that one, I want to try that one. But then in the end, uh, the next day, it's like, oh, I tried that one. I don't remember what it's called. Right. Uh, but it was really good. And then it's like, you know, it, it doesn't go anywhere. So... I think sometimes the easiest way uh, to try mezcal is just to stick with one agave and let's say, let's try Espadin first, no? Yeah. And then we try Espadin from this brand, from this other brand, from this region, this other region, uh, this number of batch, and then probably a higher alcohol. And then, all right, I know Espadins already, no? I learned about them. All right, let's give a try to something else. Let's go for... Uh, let's go for a Karwinski. Let's go for something else, for a Havali. You, and can, then play, you can play so much with like especially if you know that you have a regular that comes to Cosme maybe once every week or maybe once every two weeks or you you invite him like hey by the way this this doesn't need to be a wild night you can come here for an hour I will serve you three expressions that I think you need to know today and you come back in two weeks and experiment with something else like when we were in Oaxaca and I think uh, for us our indoctrination in agave spirits was in situ with Sandra and Ulysses specifically Sandra and funny oh. enough Sandra Sandra didn't speak or she does speak English but she didn't want to speak with us so she was speaking in Spanish and I will be translating to Sabrina uh, as much as I could and it was such a treat that she did what you're saying the first night she just gave us spadins and that's it and obviously next night we were there and then we try Karwinski's and a Verde that play on the same field and then the the last day she had a Tepestate a Tobala and she had a Coyote that he was just coming out from from the steels from that 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 uh that year and it was like we were completely hooked because she did what you say, the explanation of the agave, of the techniques, 
and the places that they all these people like all these things were coming on but even then when she was saying it it didn't make much sense it was until we came home of the trip and we started putting things together on a map and started researching but it was it, it took it took like two or three months for us to kind of like soak it in like all this stuff and we brought seven bottles so every other night we will like you know mm. put three copitas and have our own tastings <laughs> and, and, and like endless conversation of like whatever nonsense we were thinking about it but it was it was when pretty you, interesting and when you have products that are so intricate in their history and there's so much information to learn about them it takes a really long time to really absorb all of that and to really Absolutely. understand it you know i would say that um you know i'm far from from being an expert but i know more than i did two years ago you know there's so for much sure. there's so much to, and, oh, this to is, research and i think that you and i gabrielle kind of came along right around when you were starting panorama yes. like that's when we kind of started to get involved and interested in in agave distillates specifically and i'm wondering Gemma, if you can talk a little bit about how, how you see the industry developing, you know, from like maybe what was going on five years ago to what's going on now to even maybe what you think is going to be happening five years from now. Well, um, I think it's actually really cool and also really dangerous at the same time what's happening with the, with the mezcal industry and also with the tequila industry because I think we need to learn from the past and then uh, the best way to learn is actually to see the what happened to tequila and what's what, what's still happening and uh and i think uh now it's gonna be i think the seven or the eight year for mezcal booming is still like a the next thing or the 2019 thing is still mezcal you know for for sure for seven years straight uh and and now that there is more options and now there is probably more people getting their hands into the into the mezcal production is also is is now now is the best time to actually know better because there's a lot happening there's a lot of uh people getting uh and putting money into different brands or probably george Clooney, you know creating his own tequila and mezcal brand and then uh obviously this kind of like a uh stuff it, there is there is jobs you know there is jobs and there is people and they're getting money because of that too but also there is a different aspect, which is the cultural aspect, which is, you know, like a keeping the tradition alive and also following the rules that uh, they are meant to be kind of like the original uh, stuff. Now, obviously, there is new techniques. There is uh, more like a sustainable ways of doing this stuff. And something that I usually say is like uh, there is a lot of uh, wild agaves that we still have in mezcales. And there's people that sometimes they don't like to work with wild agaves because it's like a not ethic or it, or probably it's not right for them. But the truth here is that back in the days, if you think about it, probably let's say 10 years ago, uh, and then uh, they will go in the mountains and they were hunting at Tepestate, they were hunting at Tawala. They were probably just taking one at a time or probably taking two. And they weren't actually caring about replanting uh, agaves because they weren't taking a hundred at a time like uh, they do now. They were letting the, the plant do its thing. Yeah. So they will let it have a kyoto. They will let it flower. They will let it, you know, do the whole life cycle. cycle. But that you're just saying something super interesting. They knew where they were. Like if a plant is there for ten years. It's not that you have like, oh, I just found it. No, like you know exactly where it is and you probably care for her. 
So if the weeds or if another plant or if something happened, like I bet you that these mezcaleros treat those plants better than they treat many other people around their family because they knew that at some point that plant was going to be used in a very specific I'm going to use this tepestate. I have one here and I have one one kilometer that way and I have another one down the hill. Like, I bet you that in their mind, there's a map yeah. of all these tiny little plants either growing or ready or like, oh, this is ready next year. So right, it, it must be someone. That's that's something that I'd leave, I, 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 I bet you that is a bit lost well, with the boom. With the boom, right? With, with the desire, with the demand. Well, I think... Um, What's happening now uh, that there is a lot of brands that they're learning about what's happening now and also the demand of uh, mezcal. So there's a lot of uh, brands that are starting their own their own uh, nurseries and they're caring more about you know the mezcalis that they're working with and trying to do a semi cultivation, a semi wild, uh, you know, semi wild. So bringing in small plants like and put them in the right places. Yeah. Well, you know what? Let's keep track of what we have. Let's keep replanting. And now it's also now I see more brands actually planning ahead the replant the replantation of uh, agaves and it's like a let's bring people from all around the world you know whoever wants to come and you know help the situation and let's keep replanting agaves because that's kind of like a, the main key here like a, because there is like a, let's say like a, that roqueño that is uh, there is not many right now because usually roqueños take around 20 years uh, to be mature enough but back in the days they were they were used a lot with uh, espadines to be mixed because they also give a lot of use, but it takes twice the time that an espadine. So there is a, a shortage of, uh, of arroqueños because nobody was actually replanting. No? So I think everybody's they not, learning. They were not thinking about this. It's, they were just in the mode of production. And just to also talk about this a little bit, when we talk about replanting, you know, basically in cultivated agaves, we're talking about taking um, genetic copies from the from the mother plant itself, called the huelos, that kind of shoot out from the base of the plant and planting those and they mature and they become larger plants. But then there's also the, the seeding, seed. right? Mm -hmm. So you allow the kiyote to grow up and you allow the seeds to be dispersed, the flowers to be pollinated, and that is the not seeds necessarily to be dispersed. A clone. That is actually well because they could be pollinated with a different type of pollen from a different type yep. of agave, and so that you get these really interesting hybrids. And like yes. you were saying, Gabs, they're very promiscuous, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. However, you know that takes time, and they need to have the freedom to do it. And when we're talking about semi-cultivated, you know, it's semi-cultivated, but it's mostly genetically cloned. Yeah, but something I guess that is really important to mention that clones are in. You know, it's not wrong to use clones because it's part of the nature of agaves. Yeah. Obviously, not, not all agaves actually give a clone. But when you start using a clone of a clone, like all this uh, all this genetic information, it starts kind of like a washing away. And there's when, there's when those agaves are going to be really weak. And then it's and also really... Uh, and it's yeah. going to be really dangerous for... For the whole ecosystem because what you using is actually a clone of a clone so that's the, there comes the importance of actually keep track of agaves and allowing uh what they actually name uh, a madre agave yes to actually allow the it to bloom. reproduce and then get a lot of uh pots and then get a lot of seeds and let's plant those seeds yeah. and then just keep the agaves strong for the future because otherwise 
we're gonna get rid of uh, agaves, no? So I think there is more brands that they are more aware of, of that and they're trying to push uh, that because the same it, it goes with the philosophy of making a good mezcal and yes. making it in a, in, a, in a good way because there is no way that you can actually make a great mezcal when you're just uh, you know getting rid of agaves and not taking care of the ecosystem and doing it in a really irresponsible way no so that's why uh, in my in my experience or the way of of thinking is like you need to have the right information on the label Otherwise, you just put a question mark on it, you know, and it's like a, and I always use this uh, example of a, a bottle of wine, no, like probably the, the cheapest wine that you get in the liquor store that is probably $4 and it says uh, Vino Tinto uh, from Italy, but it's actually in the back, it says from California or something like that, you know, and, and all you know is that it's a blend of who knows. And the only thing that you're going to get is a really bad hangover the day after, no? <laughs> or probably you can just cook you it can, and make a really good ragu. You can a calimocho. A calimocho yeah. and it will work really well. A calimocho or a really good ragu, <laughs> you, you know? It. Yeah, 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 absolutely. <laughs> but, but the more information that you have, I feel like the more legit uh, the, what you're drinking. So that's why the first thing that you have to... Uh, that, uh, that you need on the ball is the the producer, no, the hand of the producer, the name of the producer, because it's because of them that we we have the, this or we are drinking, no, like a Basile oh. Pacheco, what we're drinking right now, you know, because Basile's family they've been doing it for three generations, is what we're drinking right now, uh, the, his mezcal, no. So other like other than that, uh, obviously the agave that that is in the mezcal, but the name of the producer, then it comes the terroir. Uh, probably a, a few more aspects about the alcohol because that 49.3 right yep. here that's gonna make uh, uh-huh. a difference of the next batch that probably is gonna come to 49.8 we can we can specify that each each batch there's nothing similar about it like they're, they're all so unique on what how it was being made temperature the distillation like you can we can name 20 different things but it's, it's such an interesting thing that you mentioned that we have been into a we have been doing this thing that i think is 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 worth saying when you buy a bottle of mezcal try it you love it do more research grab the name type in google maps what looks like that area but if if it is a mountain if it is a valley if it is coastal if it is like there's so much to learn um and this is the thing we are not in the 1800s where you will have to travel by foot and go to the mountain and find the mezcalero you you can type it on google and all the information most of it is there like if you really 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 liked something do a little more research because i think you're giving the benefit of just double checking somebody else's work because there might be a mistake on a label that if you catch it, you're like, oh, interesting. So this doesn't look like, and, and, and do the simulation of like the name of the mezcalero doesn't really equate to the area that the mezcal label says that it's from. Mm-hmm. So all these things that it comes maybe being a little more geeky and being a little bit more research oriented. But we have found a few mistakes. We have found a few surprises of like, oh, I, I had no idea that this was so close to Veracruz. Yeah. You know, on the other side of Oaxaca or the other side of Puebla. Uh, or like, I did have no idea that it was like, uh, it's, it, there's, 
the altitude for me is so such a, an interesting thought that a plant can live with such little oxygen Sabrina, my wife, like you have problems breathing <laughs> just normally when we go to Oaxaca. I do. I get altitude sickness. <laughs> so, so imagine all the time that it has to be. But I still keep going back. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's it's just yeah, super. Yeah, quick. there's, like there's just so the much research is such there is something it. that you can do is 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 soft for us to see it. It's not it's not impossible anymore. Like, and I think is the responsible thing to do as we're talking that when you get something like this just do the extra step and do a little more research is is worth it yeah yeah and i mean you know because you talk to so many different people all the time it's not like you're just talking to people like gabrielle who's just super into every aspect of it you know like you're meeting you have to meet people on whatever level. level that they're at you know and and to do that i think you need to know how to read them right and 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 maybe what aspects you think will be interesting to them and and by that you're doing a great service to the industry in general because you're you're informing and you're educating right on a daily basis pretty <laughs> much on a daily basis <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah but also here goes the other side of uh, the coin because uh it's not everything to be blaming to the brands and the way they work and the style and where they give into the community because as uh you know as part of the industry as a bartender it, you're also part of uh, that bridge of communication where you have uh, somebody that probably, you know, they're willing to learning something new about Mezcal and giving that like line drop and that history telling situation uh, to a new a consumer of Mezcal. Uh, that's actually going to go like a really deep into them like a, because Mezcal goes really deep and then uh, they're going to take that with, uh, with them and they're going to take it home. And next time they're going to drink a mezcal, they're going to think about what they learn and they're going to probably buy a bowl of mezcal that, uh, that is actually going to be a good mezcal that is going to bring back to the community because they're doing also a really good job. So I think like sometimes as a as part of the industry, probably as a bartender, bar manager, server, you know, if you sell mezcal, like you're also part of a, the same bridge where there's people in, uh, let's say, in communities like in Oaxaca and Mexico uh, that they're also getting benefit because you are also part of the of the whole cycle of of the mezcal. That's a that's a really good point, and I would ask if you have any resources. Like, let's say somebody's listening to this, and you know they they don't have like a full mezcal portfolio at the bar, right? They just carry one or two, but they're really interested in finding out more, maybe on an industry level. Like, would you have any recommendation of how to approach that, or like what resources to look for? Well, uh, I guess, uh, well, the way I started, it was like I was looking for different mezcal tastings, uh, like back in the days that there weren't too many, but the ones that they were, they were in uh, like a really big uh, liquor store, like an Astor place. They still do one. Yeah, they really still good. do a lot of them. Uh, and, uh, and then from then it was like, all right, no, like they know that there's probably more. And then I was hustling too. So that yeah. was the way. Yeah. That's the mezcal night. That's what you create. I I will think something that you were not finding that is 20, 30, 50 brands in a place for three hours. Go. Like yeah. if I was if I if I was to open a restaurant, that's where I want to go. Like you go <laughs> one night, you probably drink a lot of mezcal, but you're going to get every single business card of the of the juice that you like. This is good. 
this i want this in my restaurant i want this and i want this like it you create a very interesting like open resource for somebody that if somebody has no or very little idea of how to find these brands you put them all together in one place that is a it's a really really cool open night for yeah, I, somebody i think that's that, that's actually true because in the beginning i was actually looking for the place to be and the place to get to try uh, more mezcales and then in the end uh like you were saying, or like you know what? Let me just do it myself. Let's just bring more mezcales, uh, more brands, and then let's get people into asking questions. You no, know? asking questions like this is your chance. You no, know? like you get a bunch of brands, and this is your chance to actually talk to the people who represent the brand. Yes, and get all the information. You no, know? like all right. You no, know? like I'm a little bit more advanced. I probably know about Wallagaves. Tell me about your process, no? What's the difference, no? Like, all oh, right, is this still in clay, but no? But why? Oh, because it's the, it's the process and it's the style that we do in this region, no? And, and when you taste it, you you you, you start know, learning that each of this process gives you, like the, the a different notes. experience. Yes. Experience, yeah, yeah. And then you start putting all the pieces together, and it you know it becomes this really interesting. Obsession. It does get into story, yeah. you know. Yeah, no, it's, it's it's a very like I think you know the endless nights that we have with Gemma in, in different places have have those those tones. Like I think even like after uh, Mexico in a bottle that we were at Loncheria and then we went to this other bar. Like it was the whole night <laughs> was just talk about this. It was like it's it's, it's kind of funny. It's, it's interesting. <laughs> So what do you see as being a, a very big misconception that a lot of people have? Maybe people that don't know so much about mezcal. Like, what do you find uh, out there in the world talking to people that they're like, oh, I thought it was, you know, whatever. Mm. Uh, well, I think like uh, I know there is a lot of appreciation happening in places like San Francisco, like Chicago, in New York which sometimes is probably in Texas, which probably sometimes is not as hard because it's people that they've been traveling a lot. They have a lot of influence from other cultures. So they're always like with that, like an open mind to go travel, to get to know, to learn about the culture because they know that culture in, in uh, different countries are different. And then you ended up, you know, having like a really nice experience and then it makes you kind of like a belong to to the place so sometimes i feel like uh, there's a lot of that misconception because there's still that stereotype the same as mexican food that people have that stereotype of mexican food being uh, burritos being fajitas being queso nachos and then when you ended up you know with a tlayuda with a tetela it's like oh this guy just made this up no so I feel it's like the same misconception sometimes with uh, with mezcal, where people think that, oh, but that's like a just a tequila that is smoking, no? and then you still shoot it, but instead of lime, you do an orange, no? let's say. no. So I think there is still a lot to teach and then to learn. Uh, but also, this is all because of uh, the marketing around them. Sometimes the marketing doesn't, it doesn't work the best for the cultural part, because probably the brands that they have the most money to actually push uh, those brands, uh, they're the ones that actually they don't really care too much about. More like the fashion brands, the yeah. ones that yeah, they're just to follow the sparkly. trend. 
Yeah. Just to follow the trend. Yeah. So I feel sometimes it's like a, it, but I I think it's like up to you know whoever is uh, trying to get that uh, that mescal knowledge because it's like a getting something I don't know like a design in Italy but made in in China, no. <laughs> And then probably you can get something like it's that. It's a really good way to put it. Yeah. You know, and then and, and then it's pretty much up to you if you want to go get it or not. No, like probably you want to go get it because you think it's fine for you and that's what it works for you. And you know, not judgment is you know okay, cool. No, like a, and I don't want to tell you what's wrong, what's right, but then obviously there's a little more uh, to discover. But whatever works for you, no, that's what we were mentioning the uh, more like an introduction mescales, and probably that's good for you, you know, probably that's also good for the industry and for the people that actually uh, get benefit uh, out of that. So it's, it's, it's never wrong, but there is always more to discover, no? And also, I think uh, we can take advantage of that at the same time. Uh, and then getting that like a popularity situation of mezcal and getting all this brand uh, pushing the mezcal name all over around and then you ended up like all right no like you got to try that one all right let's get to try something that is probably not as popular as that but it's probably really tasty and it's probably the next thing or it's probably closer to what people drink in uh, you know in the places where they make the, the mezcal no so I think it's it's a it's a it's a really nice way to keep following the, the, the situation and turning people into the mascot religion. Absolutely. The and, true one. And be inclusive about it. I like I think that you said it really beautifully. Um, and thank you for that because I, I think that sometimes we we find it difficult to find the right words to say that there's there's room for everybody, right? In this in this and for industry. Of everybody, because you you will learn Well that's the whole exactly for the uh, and for the evolution to take place. And I think that's that's something to be celebrated for sure. Chema, you were saying about yeah. it being mezcal being for celebration, yes. for community, for conversation, for hanging out, you know? Well, mezcal brings people together. Yeah. You know, that's uh, that's how I know you guys. Yeah, yeah. that's true. That's how I know that's like uh, you know most of my best friends. Yeah. And then uh, I think that's why it's a reason to celebrate. And then sometimes probably it's a little bit too many copitas. <laughs> we celebrate <laughs> a little too much. Yeah, probably. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we do get get that but uh but i think that's kind of like a i will I, I what i found in the in the industry as a bartender is that uh the mezcal category is a really close one where uh everybody knows each other yes and then uh i don't think like nobody's talking uh about stuff about every, and anyone else anybody else because everybody has their own uh, style and then in the end we all make the the force no like uh, all together we make this uh category uh, stronger and i think like uh at least all the friends uh mescaleros we all have kind of got like, uh, the same goal that is to keep uh you know promoting and to keep teaching and then to keep pushing the the cultural aspect of this uh mexican uh yeah. situation which is the mezcal no which is also really important and then I always tell people, or every time I, I start a training, uh, a staff training situation, it's like, if we're going to talk about mezcal, we need to talk about Mexican culture. And we need to understand why agave is a thing in Mexico and why even in, you know, pre-Hispanic uh, times and why it's so important in Mexico, even though it's all around the world. Mm -hmm. But we ended up with the most population of agaves, no? 
and then how it's like the cradle of civilization for yeah, agave there's, there's a Mexico. number somewhere around yeah. like 50 55 percent of yeah. the global i think it's around 80 it's the the, the yeah. last number that i was looking at something lower but it's, it's yeah. it, whatever it is like the the most agaves endemic to a nation is mexico That's yeah and, and you see agaves in africa you see agaves in Asia, Australia, and, and the Mediterranean. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. You go to Texas, you go to Florida. There is a bunch of uh, agaves, agaves too. But then, how I think how it became so important into the Mexican culture, and then how they were actually, you know, fitting out of the agaves and building houses and building a lot yeah, of the stuff. The cultivation from humanity perspective yeah. goes back thousands and thousands of years. We have a, we had a great. Uh, conversation with Dave. Oh yeah, of about course. Their, their, oh yeah, yeah. You, yeah Dave will. Uh, Ola Dave. Yeah. yeah, Ola Dave will. <laughs> he will spend three or four hours if we let him talk. But to it's him a about really this. important component ready. to the story, right? And so I love that you start with that information when you're giving classes or you know giving a presentation. I think it's it's so crucial. Um, do you know? Like, do you have any experience traveling outside of the states in Mexico, promoting? mezcal or anything like that do you do you travel around uh no no right now not yet (laughs) it's Uh, on the horizon (laughs) it is it is it it will happen uh soon right now i'm pretty much uh, based in new york so i've been trying to you know i'm i I would like to promote more mexican spirits but i also need to be uh you know working and then knowledgeable about it yeah uh, so I've been pushing. Uh, oh, I've been trying to push more this panorama mezcal on this side of the coast. So I live in more like what's well, Washington and then also Miami because yeah. There's gonna be a bit of expansion happening. There's gonna be from a what bit I of understand. A panorama goes tropical situation. <laughs> so hopefully. Mezcal. And how can how can people find panorama? So. Uh, we are on uh, on Instagram, on Panorama Mezcal. That's it. Yeah, at Panorama Mezcal. Uh-huh. And then uh, I'm gonna finish the website. I promise. And then you can see all the different events, uh, what's happening, the bartender religion, which is like a little more fun. Kind of like a fun part. It's like of a, a performative like party. Yeah, it's like yeah. a fun part. Let's get wasted, but in a really cool way. I have to say, you you make the bartenders perform as rock stars is is quite something to we watch. are rock stars yeah it's quite something to watch the 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 shaking and the moving and the multi pouring hands and it kind of messy. it kind of it's, it it's brings kind of, back the reminiscence of when i was a kid and i saw tom cruise and that that terrible movie <laughs> cocktail <laughs> I mean, it's not quite that choreographed. It is, no, but. it is kind of. It is kind of. It is I kind don't of. think they were playing perreo or reggaeton. <laughs> no, you know, no, 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 definitely movie. not. But they still have neons. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Well, Gemma, I wanted to thank you so much. Gracias. For speaking with us today. And um, we look forward to having you on again. The first one of again. many. Yeah, the first one of many, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and thanks for bringing this amazing expression. It was wonderful to sit Salucita. on it. Salucita. Salucita. And salute to everybody who's listening. Hey Hey Agave is a production of Tuyo NYC. Brittany Prater is our editor. Your hosts are Gabrielle Velasquez Zazueta and me, Sabrina Lassard. 
Our music is by Milagro Verde. Find them on Instagram at Milagro underscore Verde BK. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Salisita.